0: Looking at our world from a theological
1: perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, April the 3rd, 2022. It is currently 3.16 p.m. Central time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you are obviously very aware that there is much disagreement within the Christian world about pretty much every subject, right? You know there's disagreement about baptism, you know there's disagreement about the Lord's Supper, you know there's disagreement about how the church should operate, what you can and can't do, how one should worship, what kind of music one can use, can't use, what kind of, you know, church leadership structure do you have? Is it a pastor led, congregational led, is it a blend of those? Do you need multiple elders? Do you need to be a part of a denomination? Can you be independent? I mean, there's just disagreement after disagreement after disagreement after disagreement. And at times, it can just become very depressing, very discouraging, and very frustrating. It's kind of interesting. Sometimes when you're, I think when you're a young Christian, you can get so involved in the debate and arguing that you're just like, what you have a tendency to do is you f- focus on the fact, okay, you are, you're right. You think you're right. I'm, you know, you're basically, this is the way you kind of approach it. I'm right. Everyone else is wrong. And then you spend all of your time arguing and fighting and debating, trying to convince everyone that they're wrong, but you've got it figured out. So I think there's, there, that's kind of a stage you go through in the Christian life. Like at first you may be a little like, discombobulated by all of the disagreement then you kind of figure out okay this is my team this is the right team we've got it right everyone else is wrong then you spend your time maybe arguing and fighting and trying to convince everyone that they're wrong and then I think there's a stage where you kind of sit back and you start looking at it not so much from the perspective of your team you kind of take a step back and you just like wait why why are, we, look, we claim the Bible is the final authority, yet we can't agree. We, we've we had 2,000 years of church history, yet we're in 2022, and the agreements get worse and worse and worse. And wait a minute, look at how we're talking, look at how we're treating. And then you you may go through a period of, of doubt or, or or just such a frustration and discouragement that it can have a profound negative impact on your spiritual life. I don't know the different stages you've gone through. I, I And, you know, we could try to, I could try to flesh that out a little bit better. But I do think there are some stages. And and sometimes you'll see people, you know, maybe on social media and you're like, well, man, I remember that stage. It's like fight, 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 and be condescending and tell everyone. And then you can find other people who are kind of like, you know, I think this is a stage a lot of people get to. You know what? This is what I believe. I don't care what anybody. It's just almost like a. I, I They just don't want to be involved in the fight. They don't want to be involved in the disagreement. And they're just kind of like, you know, everyone just believes what they want and I don't care anymore. And that that's a dangerous place to be as well. But it is frustrating and it is discouraging. And what may add to your frustration and discouragement is not only do these disagreements involve things like baptism, the Lord's Supper, church leadership, worship styles, you know, an independent versus a denominational church. It, that all of those things are there and people will fight about them. But there is also much disagreement about this question. And this will really make you upset and really bother you, or at least it bothers me. Here's the question. What must you do to be saved? What must you do to be saved. Now, you, at first, you may no, 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 no. There's agreement here. You believe in Jesus. Well, a lot of people will say believe in Jesus, but all you have to do is wait, wait for it, wait for it. It's going to believe in Jesus, and oh, you believe in Jesus, but they're going to throw in something that indicates you oh, you believe in Jesus, but or and you have to do. There's going to be there's something additional you must do. And there's lots of different views and schools of thought when it comes to this question. Let me just give you an example. Here's a very famous passage of scripture. You may not even think anything about it, but it can really become controversial. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. So what must you do to be saved? Well, believe in Jesus. All right, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up, his, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, some people say you have to do those in order to be saved. Some say, well, if you don't do those, it proves you're not saved. Meaning if I don't do this, then I'm not saved. But then the question would be, how much of this does do I have to do in order to be saved? Yeah, let me read it to you again, Matthew 16, 24. If any man will come after me, let him, number one, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Well, to take up your cross is to die to self. self Self-denial, self-death, and the, the absence of no longer following self, turning from self. Now, the question is, do you have to do that to be saved? Well, some people say, well, you don't have to do it first. You believe in Jesus and are saved, and as a result of your salvation, you will do that. And then you say, well, do you have to do it perfectly? Well, no, you don't have to do it perfectly. Well, if I don't have to do it perfectly, how much do I have to do it in order to know if I'm saved? Because do I ever? am I ever truly dead of myself? Do I ever truly deny myself? Do I? And so then it becomes something very subjective. Well, I think I do it enough, so I'm saved. Well, and then you look at someone else and go, well, I don't think they do it enough, so they're not saved. And that just leads to spiritual chaos and anarchy. And we've talked about this a lot. In other words, there's some passages that seem to say, do this. And some people say, well, you have to do that to be saved. Others will say, no, 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 that's not for salvation. That's for discipleship. And discipleship is different than salvation. Other people say, no, salvation and discipleship are the same thing. So every verse that says you must do this in order to be my disciple, you have to do that in order to be saved. And it just goes, it's just a never ending circle. I'm not sitting there trying to stop and explain each and every one of these, but just note, it's, it's maddening. It's maddening. And then you have others who say, look, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, but the grace that saves does not remain alone. So it will do this, this, and this, and this. And if you don't do this and this and this, then it proves you were never saved. And you're like, so if I don't do this, I'm not saved, but I'm not saved by works. Well, you're not saved by works, but salvation will produce works. Well, how many works do I have to look at to prove that I'm saved? And it just, it goes on and on and on. And, I, and it can get maddening because we can't even agree on this. Well, we've talked about it a number of times. We've talked about it in so many ways. But the other day, I don't even know what day it was, I received an email. Now, again, I just used the paper for sound effects because clearly the email is on my iPad. But I received an email and someone was like, hey, this we did a discussion, we did a discussion and a podcast episode called You Can Obey, where we were looking at a perspective that says, you can obey whatever God commands you to do. And we're like, wait a minute, this seems majorly problematic. And they said that some that a, a podcast called Theocast was discussing something similar and an episode called What Must You Do to Be Saved? And you know what happens? I, I try that whenever you email me something it jumps to the top of the list. Sometimes I'm slow getting there. But what we're going to do is we're going to listen to this episode of TheoCast, What must I do to be saved? I have no idea what what they're I don't have any I have no idea where they're going to go. I don't go. I don't know what they're going to say. Remember that's what we love to do here. Because if I listen to it first, then this is all rehearsed and it's all planned, and, and then my reaction is planned, and that's just, ugh, I, I don't like that. I, I want this to be a Sunday afternoon. I don't know what you're doing this afternoon if you're listening to me live, but you sit back, you have something to drink. I hear I have a bottle of water. We can take a, a drink, sit back. Maybe you got some popcorn, maybe you got some snacks, and let's listen to the episode of Theocast together. And let's see what their perspective is. What? How are they going to answer the question? What must I do to be saved? I think this is a pretty important question. I think we could all agree. This is probably a question we actually need to figure out the answer to. And it's just frustrating that 2,000 years of church history, we still can't seem to figure out this answer, at least in a way that everyone agrees upon. Which, I, again, you... I know for many Christians that the disagreements don't really bother them. For some Christians, they're not bothered, by, it's really weird. You either get Christians are like, yeah, kind of shrug their shoulders, I don't really care if there's disagreement. You got others who become so discouraged and despondent and depressed because of the of the disagreements, they just want to give up. I, I don't know if there's really a, a lot of people who are right there in that in a in a middle where we should be concerned about the disagreements, but we should not just give up. But I do. I think we should all acknowledge 2000 years of church history. You think we should be able to start coming to some agreements, but just just have a just have a discussion with a presbyterian on infant baptism and you'll realize you know what? <laughs> We're never going to agree on anything. We're, it, it's it's just useless, which is frustrating, but Let's listen to this and see what uh, where the discussion is, okay, or, or what or what their perspective is. TheoCast, another podcast you may want to subscribe to. We could almost have done this for a Christian podcast spotlight program, but we're going to we're going to put it on its, by itself just because I think uh, this is important. TheoCast, what must I do to be saved? Let's jump in and see how far we can make it. Here we go.
0: Hi, this is John, and today on Theocast, Justin and I are going to answer this question, what must I do to be saved? This is a question that Jesus received often. We're going to look at it in Luke and Matthew. And also, Paul deals with the same type of idea in Romans chapter 2. Are we going to be examining our good works at the end of our life in order to be saved? So it's a law gospel confusion passage where there can be some Dazed and confused when reading these, it can sound like our good works are going to play into our salvation. So we're going to help bring some clarity on that and walk through those passages together. And then on our next podcast, on Firmanda, we talk about how good works play in to our faith, but they are not a part of our salvation and how things like federal vision, lordship salvation, final justification kind of play into that. We talk about the prosperity gospel, Joel Esteen.
1: It's packed. We hope you enjoy. If you'd like to help Okay, now stop right here. Uh, There's some awesome things there. They mention Romans chapter 2. Now, if you'll go find our series on the book of Romans, you can find it easy on the Church One app. I'm still adding messages, but I think all of the Romans chapter 2 messages have been added. And you can look where it's, I think we say something justified by faith, judged according to works. And I don't know how many parts that went, but I would challenge you to go listen to all of that because in that series we discussed for, it felt like it lasted for almost a year. I'm not saying it went that long. It felt that way. We dealt with the problem that in Romans 2, it seems to say we're going to be judged according to our works. Well, how can I be a judged according to my works if I'm justified by faith alone? That would seem to indicate, no, I, I, works are required for my salvation. So we worked through all of those questions Please go back and listen to that because I think it's very important. And I think just because of how much time we spent and and all the different perspectives we looked at, I think, I think we really went in because what, what had happened when we were in Romans two, I listened to all kinds of sermons from all kinds of other churches and they all basically covered the whole problem judged according to our works. And like one sermon that lasted 35 minutes. And I was just dumbfounded. I'm like, how in the world did you fix that problem in 35 minutes where it took us like six months, like how, and I realized they just skimmed over it. They're just like, well, a lot of people have problems here, but it's really not that hard. Here you go. And they basically go, well, you're, you're, this is how they basically tried to get around it. Many, many do, not all. Well, you are justified by faith, but you're going to be judged according to your works because your works are going to prove that you're saved. And I'm like, wait a minute. My works are going to prove that I received an imputed righteousness, this sounds like you're saying that my my works will prove that I was infused with righteousness, which is Roman Catholicism. So yeah, it, it was just really frustrating, but go listen to that and I do like the fact if you I don't know if you caught it, that this is a law gospel confusion. Ah, very important theological distinction, and I'm very familiar with that in my days of being a Lutheran, one of the things I really loved about Lutheran theology. Um, but, uh, let's, let's see where they go with this. And it sounds like then, I guess the next week, I don't know when this one aired. And we're going to talk about things like Lordship, Salvation, the Federalist Vision. Wow. We may, we may, you may want to put Theocast as a podcast that you should subscribe to. You may want to add that to your list. Theocast, you probably, I, I I bet you can find it anywhere you get your podcast. I'm pretty sure it's on the Edify Christian podcast app because I think I subscribed to it there. But you definitely want to listen to Theocast, all right? But let's see where they go with this subject. Here we go. Help support Theocast.
2: You can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Plus, we have a Facebook group if you'd like to join the conversation there. Thanks for listening.
0: Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed, confessional, and pastoral perspective. It's good to be here with you this morning. Your hosts are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And I'm John Moffitt, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And last week, we were recording together in Knoxville. And today, we are side-by-side, only by screen. Unfortunately, so I miss seeing my brother, but uh, Justin, today's uh, today's a fun one. We we love, one of the things that we do before we record, we always catch up, see how each other is doing and uh, get caught up on life and ministry and just care for one another and laugh and, and drink coffee. It's great. Uh, then we start talking about what we want to talk about, and today was a good one. Today was fun, mm-hmm. just kind of.
1: All right, so a uh, couple of things. This is coming to us from a Reformed theological perspective all right we'll see we'll see how that plays out uh, because even sometimes within the reform world there's not always agreement I, I don't know I don't know if I'm going to agree or disagree the the, the little opening was promising because I do agree that this is a law gospel confusion I do I absolutely believe that that's what happens with these questions about what must I do to be saved and judged according to our works and and all the different things people do? I do believe it's a it's a confusion of law and gospel. So I, they're using language that I think I'm going to agree with. We'll see where, where they're going to go. You may be asking, well, why didn't you just fast forward this right to where they get started on the topic? because I also love to introduce you to podcasts you may not know about. So just kind of giving you a feel and a vibe for what they're about, how they do things. Uh, it sounds like most podcasts, if you'll notice, most of the podcasts that we listen to, they di- they tend to either be a, like a panel discussion or there's at least two people. Um, there's very few podcasts. I, I mean, there's some out there, but it just sounds like a lot of them, there's always a discussion, there's always a panel or or a co-host or or a guest or an interview where I don't do any of those things. It's just me, myself, and I, but uh, the old cast. So, so that's why we're listening to everything, just so that you get a feel for what this podcast is all about. Here we go.
0: Um, Reminiscing over the next few episodes, what we're going to cover. So yeah. uh, today's episode is called What Must I Do to be Saved? So Justin, kind of mm-hmm. set us up. Like, what? why did we pick that topic? This is kind of in a stream of things coming, it is. Uh, coming down. So. And today, too, we had emergency phone calls that really
2: <laughs> shortened our time together. We could barely
0: get in here to record. We were it was scrambling. like scrambling. We are both taking yeah the life of a anyway, pastor. Yeah. It's okay. It's good um, times.
2: Yeah, good chat, though. It was brief, but a good talk. Yeah. Not only just catching up personally quickly, but then talking about what we wanted to discuss today on the podcast. Right. So I'll go ahead and say this. John and I are both in agreement that we want to do in the coming months, I think that's a safe thing to say an overview episode on the law and gospel distinction. So a Reformed understanding, a historical Reformed understanding of law and gospel.
1: Okay, let me just say it right here. Whenever they do that episode, where they do a distinction of law and gospel, I would highly recommend you listen. In fact, I may drive to your house and make you listen, okay? Any discussion about the distinction between law and gospel is a very, 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 very important one, okay? If yeah, we, we may we may have to review it, and we may do our own discussion. I have a I have a uh, Lutheran textbook on hermeneutics that's all about the distinction between law and gospel. It's probably somewhere uh, back when I was going to become a, I wanted to become a Lutheran pastor, um. Yeah, well, well, we may have to pull that out because I think this is—I think this distinction between law and gospel is—I I think I think these distinctions between law and gospel is absolutely essential, and I think the distinction between position and practice is absolutely essential as well. So, we, we may do some study on position and practice, um, and well, they're going to do a, a law and gospel distinction that we may have to listen to and review. But let's let's continue
2: an overview episode on that doctrine is coming. We're just going to go ahead and say that and own that, and you can hold us to that. But today's episode is different and in some ways more fun Mm -hmm. because effectively what we're going to do, the title is What Must I Do to Be Saved? And we're going to get there. But what we're going to do is survey three passages that are often preached or explained in a way that we would say confuses the answer to that question. What must we do to be saved? And two of these are going to be from the lips of Christ himself, and one of them from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. And so these passages are probably going to be well known to people because two of them are parables that people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. And then one is from, you know, Paul's most famous epistle, the letter to the Romans. And yeah, John, anything from you, man? Just. I'm 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 saving some of my energy yeah, for what we're absolutely. about to do. We want to be charitable. We yeah. want to be humble. And we also are aware mm-hmm. that for many of the listeners, you may not have heard these parables, these passages explained the way that we're going to explain them. Mm-hmm. But this explanation and understanding is not unique to us. Again, it is an historical reformed law gospel hermeneutic that we would be applying to the text mm-hmm. in these various instances. Yep. John, thoughts?
0: Well, to... To help any student of God's word, you have to understand categories. Um, yeah. You know, like the Bible assumes when we read the Bible, it assumes we know things about natural law. So we know what a human is. Mm-hmm. We know what trees are. We know what a donkey is. Uh, we know what water is. Like It assumes that knowledge because it doesn't say this is what water is or this right. is what a donkey or is. Or even
2: the, the seasons and the years and mm-hmm. all these kinds of things.
0: So uh, then there are then there's things that we must learn from the text. Like it mm-hmm. defines things the world doesn't have. Like the yeah. world doesn't have a concept for grace. That comes from the Bible. Yeah. Uh, it really doesn't have a concept for law other than the natural law that's there. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, throughout the years, we've confused those two. And that's what's caused there to be confusion centered around the passages that we have today. So before Justin jumps into Luke, I just want to give a like a five-second definition here. I, I mean, John, give, give a 20-second definition. Take your time. <laughs> that's, that's right. right? Yeah. Um, but the the easiest way I always, I'll just describe Gospel, the gospel, because uh, the gospel is a transliteration. It literally just means news, and it means the the news that is good. Yeah. And you don't describe news as a potential future, right? News is always past tense. It means it's no. this is what's happening. It's occurred. I'm, it's occurred, and I'm telling you what's occurred. Yeah. Law always is potential because it is mm. is a is, uh, in other words, it's the standard by which one must meet. And so mm-hmm. there's there's no past part. There's only a future part. So if you're reading a passage of scripture and it's saying that salvation is dependent upon a future act, that's law. But if you're hearing a passage and it's saying, this is what has been done,
1: therefore you are saved, that's gospel. Uh, Think of it this way. Gospel is done. Law is due. Any passage that says do something, that is law. Any passage that says it has been done, it is done, that is gospel. Gospel is the news of what has been done, what has been accomplished, what is finished, and that is in Christ Jesus he's done it, he's finished it. What must I do? That is law. There's that's that's a done and do is a very important distinction when it comes to law. Or an, an easy way to remember the distinction between uh, gospel and law are law and gospel. Law is due. Gospel is done. All right? I think that's a, a very important way to to uh, understand it.
0: Uh, so we do believe that one is saved by works. It just is the works of Christ. That's gospel. So mm-hmm. it's important. This, the name of this podcast is, what must I do to be saved? We're going to answer that in the end. But we're going to use passages that are often very confused. So yes, just- I-,
1: I love that. Are we saved by works? Yes, we are saved by works. The works of Christ that are imputed to me. He all the things of all the works of Christ that saves you, his obedience to the law. He kept the law perfectly for you because you cannot. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. All death, burial, resurrection, all of that was done for you. So, in a sense, when you say, am I saved by works? Yes, I'm saved by the works of Christ, not by my works, right? So, that's important, and it's very important because that was kind of our ultimate, our answer in Romans chapter 2, when it says we're going to be judged according to our works. Yes, I'm going to be judged according to works. What works? Well, if I don't have the work of Christ imputed to my account, I'll be judged according to my works, But I can be judged according to works because by faith, all of the work of Christ has been imputed to my account. So when I am judged, every work of Christ is my work. I've kept the law. I'm obedient. I am holy. I am righteous in Christ, not in practice. So I think that understanding that distinction is very important as well. All right, let's continue.
0: Just remember in the back of your head If it's talking about a past tense of what's been done on my behalf, that's gospel. If it's talking about what I must do now and ongoing, that's law.
2: What I must do in particular in order to be righteous in the sight of God, right? that is a law proposition, right? Mm -hmm. And law does not mean bad. Law is good. I mean, God's law is holy and upright and good completely. Right. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with us, and I think all of this is going to become more plain as we break some of these texts down. So we could call this a a dazed and confused episode. We've done this in the past where we'll Mm -hmm. take passages from the scriptures that are often misinterpreted from a Reformed perspective. They're misinterpreted, misapplied, and often they are used in one way or another to unsettle Christians in order to motivate people to obey. And there's a better way, and we hope to demonstrate that today. And so, yeah, grab your cup of coffee or your favorite beverage or whatever you typically do, or maybe you're driving or working out or whatever, but think about these texts, think about God's law and God's gospel. And we hope this is encouraging. It is to me mm. and I know it is to John.
0: So. so your favorite one, we're going to see that one. Well, first. I don't know that it's my
2: favorite, man. It's tough. I don't like talking superlatives, John. The, the first two parables that we're going to deal-
0: gets you excited.
2: Yes. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I know I'm so difficult sometimes.
0: Um, you if can't you, just make it
2: your favorite. I, anyway, I, well, the Lord knows, and so does my wife, and Amen. so does John. Bring it to uh, us, brother Luke. Yeah. So the first one is a really good one, a very well-known parable, the parable of the good Samaritan, mm. that is found in Luke chapter ten, verse twenty-five, and verses twenty-five and following. We'll really be looking at verses 25, I, or I guess I'd 37. Like to,
0: Go ahead. Let me just jump in for a second. This Please. is what Justin's also going to do is is show you proper exegesis as well, the, how to read a passage. We typically no, jump right. right into the parable and we don't look at what comes before and after and we yeah. make our application based upon that. So Justin's yeah. not going to do that. No. He's going to look at the whole context.
2: Yeah, we're so the parable itself doesn't actually start until verse 30 of mm-hmm. Luke 10, but there are five verses that precede the telling of the parable that help us understand why Jesus even told it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so we're just going to look at this stuff together. I'm not going to read every word, but I'm going to try to give the sense of it. So in verse 25 of Luke 10, a lawyer or a scribe, right, comes up to Jesus to put Jesus to the test. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So then Jesus responds. This response is incredibly telling. What is written in the law? Question mark. How do you read it? Question mark. Then the scribe, the lawyer, responds. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself, to which Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will
1: live. Now, stop right there. Very important. Do this and you will live. Do this in a sense, you will be saved. How how can you have an, an eternal life? Remember the question? What shall I do to inherit eternal life you want eternal life well what is written in the law well what is written in the law is I need to love the Lord thy God with all our heart mind body and soul and uh, and uh, uh, and with all well, I need to love the Lord thy God uh, with all my heart with all my soul and with all my strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself that that's what I'm supposed to do okay great you' you answered you answered right do this and you'll live. Go do it, and you'll live. That's all you have to do. You go love God with all your heart, mind, body, and strength, and go love your neighbor as yourself, and you will live. Now, please know what must I do? That's this is law, and it even demonstrates they're looking in the law. In the law, this is what you have to do to inherit eternal life. You go attempt it. You're not going to love God. You're not going to love your neighbor. The end. You're not going to do it correctly. So then, how can I be saved? I need someone who has loved God perfectly and has loved his neighbor perfectly. And who has done that? None other than Jesus Christ. In him, that obedience to that law is imputed to my account. That's the way it works. The problem is so many within the Christian faith will say, yes, They may say yes to what I just said and then turn around and go, well, how do I know I'm saved? Do you love the Lord, that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? That's a test to prove you're saved. Well, if that's a test to prove that I'm saved, then you're telling me I have to do that in order to be saved. Well, no, you don't have to do that in order to be saved. But if you don't do it, you're not saved. Meaning I have to do it in order to be saved. (laughs) So in a roundabout way, many who would agree that you're right. Jesus is the one who does it. Well, then turn around and then make this a proof that one is saved. But if Jesus did it for me, then it's imputed to my account. I'm saved. I don't look to this to prove. It's, I I I don't look to this to prove that I'm saved. D- does, I hope that makes sense? But let's see where they go with this.
2: The conscientious among us are going to immediately have Leviticus 18.5 bells just going off in their brains because that is a verbatim citation. Do these things and you will live by them, says Leviticus 18.5. Paul picks that up in Galatians chapter 3. This is what the law says, right? Do this and you will live. So already we should note several things. The lawyer asks, what must I do? Jesus immediately responds with a question about the law and what the law requires. But what does the law say? How do you read it? The man responds correctly. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, do that, and you'll live. Now, there is not a an ounce of gospel in that whatsoever. That what? is all
0: law. Wait a minute. He said, what must I do to be saved? Is Jesus lying to him?
2: No, he's not. He's giving <laughs> him a law answer, yes. right? And And then verse 29, this is key. We're just going to keep keep the train rolling here. Mm-hmm. But he, that's the lawyer, after Jesus has just said, you answer correctly, do this and you'll live. The lawyer says, and the text tells us, desiring to justify himself, mm. he asks Jesus a question. Now, brief insertion. The lawyer is seeking to justify himself according to what?
0: The law that he just heard. The which law. Is, right, which is why yes. it's so important that people understand that Jesus did not present Good news. He pretend he presented potential.
2: Yes, he gave him law and the scribe, the lawyer, seeking to justify himself according
1: to the law. Exactly. I love the way they said that. This is awesome. And to the person who sent this to me, thank you. Because this, I'm getting excited. This, this, I, this is going in a really interesting direction, and I'm getting excited about this. But I love the way they said that he gave a law answer. You asked a question. Okay, I'll give you the law answer. And then please note, as soon as the man is confronted with a law answer seeking to justify himself, he said, well, who is my neighbor? It, it feels like to me, oh, wow. Okay, well, yeah, that's what the law says. Well, man, right? He, he's, 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 it's just interesting. He, he skips past the loving God part. I think we're, I think everyone is able to convince themselves that they love God more than they are. I think, I think, you know, that seems maybe so theoretical. Yes, I love God. Yes, I love God. I think it's, that's theoretical. But when it talks about loving your neighbor, that's more, that that's not so theoretical that's that's something tangible it it's something not so subjective it's very objective because you can see if you love your neighbor you can see if you love people so he's like immediately he's confronted well if i have to do that I don't know if I'm safe. I know what I'll do. I got to justify myself. I got to I got to demonstrate that I love my neighbor. And the way I'll try to get out of this is I'm going to I need to limit I need to eliminate as many people as possible from being my neighbor. So who is my neighbor? If I can eliminate, you know, a lots of people, then I then I have a better chance of obeying this law. But ever, this entire discussion is law-based. This is a, there's no gospel. This is all law-based. Okay. According to the law, how are you saved? Love God, love your neighbor. Oh, boy. Okay, love my neighbor. Okay, well, that's going to be hard to do, especially if I don't start eliminating people from being my neighbor. So this, this is law-based, right? Let's see what happens here.
2: Asks, what and who speak? is my neighbor. my neighbor? That's right. So in other words, Jesus, okay, we're, we're having this interchange, teacher. We're on the same page, right? I'm telling you, you've asked me what's in the law. I've told you what's in the law. You've affirmed that my interpretation of the law is sound. And if I do those things, I'll live forever. Mm. So tell me now who my neighbor is because I'm going to do it. Mm. That's Right? right. That's effectively what's going on here.
1: All right. We read it a little differently. When I say he's trying to justify himself, I'm reading that as oh boy, okay, I need to eliminate, like he's all, I, I feel like he's he's confronted with the fact that, wait, loving my neighbor, that's going to be almost impossible, uh, so if the only way I'm going to be able to be justified, the only way I'm going to be able to convince my, to, to know that I've actually done this, is I've got to eliminate people, they, they are reading it as he's saying, well, sh- tell me who my neighbor is, so that I can do it, because I can, all right, that that that's interesting. I never thought about it from that perspective. I always looked at it from the way I described it. All right, that's that's see. That's why we listen to Christian podcasts and we listen to different teachers because we want to be challenged to think about it. I'm gonna I've gotta have to give that some thought. Um, but I read it. What willing to justify himself? I guess you could read it. He was willing to justify himself by I'm gonna go do it now. Just tell me who my neighbor is. To me, it seems more like oh boy, love my neighbor okay, man, I need to eliminate some people. I feel it more like, because I just, I maybe just from my perspective, if I realize that the only way I'm going to get to heaven is loving my neighbor, I just, for me, maybe it's just, maybe it's just my own sinful nature. For me, I've got to sit there and start thinking, who, who can I get off my list of, of being a neighbor? Because the more people on that list, the more difficult it's going to be. The fewer people on the list, the greater chance I have of success. That's the way I'm viewing it. So, you can tell me how you interpret it. I, I think that's just interesting, a different a, a way of looking at that verse. All right, let's see what happens.
0: And I think he's also wanting to justify that there are certain people he doesn't have to do it for. Sure. Which is why Jesus ends up punching him in the nose uh, verbally. Agree. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so his understanding of two things are going on with
2: his lawyer, at least we can say that aren't good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the one, it's your, your what you just observed. Dude is wanting to kind of dumb down what love of neighbor requires of him. And how
0: often does this happen, right? A lot. The self-righteous always wants to move the law, the level of the law, down Mm. to make it achievable. To where it's achievable and achievable.
1: But then the second part, you already kind of... That's very important. The self-righteous always wants to dumb down the law so it's achievable. Right. Yes, you you can obey God, you can do it and and then they begin to reduce what the law actually says so it seems manageable. But if you look at the law as it's given and even the what how Jesus interprets the law that it goes beyond just an external act, it deals with internal motivations, internal desires, then you realize immediately that if I look at the law as God has given the law and as God interprets the law, then nobody can fulfill it. We are all condemned and nobody is saved right? But so many people were like, no, 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 no. You can prove your say by these things you do. Well, they have to dumb down the requirements of the law. Because if you look at the law as it's written, everyone would be like, I- I'm finished. I'm done. I'm done. And I-, I think that's a very important principle, right?
2: I've alluded to it. That is that the heart of the issue is that this man is, is thinking at least, he may already think he's righteous, according to the law right. but he at least thinks very clearly that he can attain righteousness according to the law that's so that's right. you, that's absolutely imperative like if we miss that we're going to misunderstand the entire parable but right. if we understand the context that this is a completely a law situation you have a man who is trusting in his own righteousness or at least trusting that he can achieve righteousness by the law and jesus is dumping the requirements of the law on this man, and this man doubles down and says, all right, we'll clarify what it is that I need to do to love neighbor because I'm going to do it or I'm going to prove that I've already done it. Then Jesus tells the parable.
0: That's right. So for the sake of time, we won't read the entire parable. I think everybody understands the parable. Right. But in the parable, Jesus sets up this scenario and he then describes something that culturally would have been offensive and and they would not see this as, uh, they're not agreeing with Jesus on who the neighbor is. This is why the man has to ask the question, right? Who, who, who is course. my neighbor? And so at the end of it, which of these three, Luke ten thirty six, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. <laughs> mm-hmm. so what's interesting is that Jesus is now answering the question, and it's a very prideful question right? When you think about of course. it, when you compare yourself to the law, the law is supposed to be crushing. The man is not crushed. Because the law
2: standard or, is perfection.
0: That's right. So yes. Jesus sends the man away to be crushed so yeah. that he hopefully would return and say, okay, it can't be done.
2: Like I can't. Yeah. The point of what Christ is doing in the parable, and everybody knows that you've already alluded to it. He paints this picture of over the top sacrificial love for neighbor mm. that we all ought to look at it and say, yeah, I've never I don't think I've ever gone to that length to love my neighbor, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that should be what we read. Not uh, consistently then, every day. Correct,
0: correct. Every and then, day. of course,
2: he he offends everybody listening by painting the picture of the religious and ethnic half-breed. The Samaritan is the one who actually does love his neighbor. So that's offensive. Mm-hmm. But I think the point the secondary takeaway is what we often get as the primary takeaway. The primary takeaway, as this text is usually exposited, is we all need to sacrificially love neighbor like the Samaritan. Yeah. That is true. That is a secondary application in terms of how I would then think about living in accord with God's law. True. But
0: wasn't the point. But
2: the main point, my vernacular, Jesus is looking at this man and indirectly everybody who's listening and he's like ain't none of y'all fools ever done this like <laughs> ain't nobody ever done this for your neighbor right i mean that's it like it's right. it is meant to be held out as an unattainable standard
1: this is so important theologically and hermeneutically. So many times we look at a passage of scripture, especially pastors when they preach this and they're like, okay, guys, this is what we need to learn. We need to love people this way. We need to have this sacrificial love for people. And we just immediately make the application as go and do this. Go and do this. But that really is, at best, a secondary application. Really, it goes against what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying, oh, you want to know how to be saved by keeping the law? Well, go and do this, because what it should lead to is, I, I can't. I, I, Nobody does it this way. Now, the problem is some preachers preach it as if you can. Some preachers preach it like, you can do it. You can do this. No, you can't. You're never going to love people with this kind of consistent, sacrificial love. You're you're not going to do that. You're, you're not not—you're not going to have compassion on people the way you're supposed to have. You're not going to go down and buy, um, bound up his wounds. You're not going to pour in oil and wine. You're not going to set him on your own beast. You're not going to bring him to the end. You're not going to take care of him. You're not going to pay all of his bills and, and, and say, if there's anything else he needs, sh- basically charge it to my account. You, no, we're not going to do that on a consistent basis. Oh, there may be Times that we will look very merciful, compassionate, and loving, but time and time again, we'll put our own self interest, our own plans before other people. We may say, I'll pray for you. We may feel bad for you, but we rarely put ourselves out the way that is described here. So the point, the primary application is for you to go, Woe is me, I am undone. Well, who, who, who is the person who does this? The person who does this for you is Jesus Christ. He did this for us. He saves us. He redeems us. He is the one. So in him, his good works of acting and doing as the parable describes is then applied to me or is imputed to me. And I am saved because Christ did these things for me. So yes, in one sense, I have to do this to be saved. The good thing is someone did it for me, which is Christ. God, the gospel answer is, yes, You, all of this has been done. You have done all of this in Christ Jesus, so you have been saved. Law says you go do it. Gospel says Christ did it. The law says you do it. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a secondary application where we should be challenged to live this way. But we. But what some people will do is they say, see, this will prove if you're saved. If you love people this way, it proves you're saved. Well, then you're never going to think you're saved unless you so dumb down the requirement of the law so that you feel self, self-righteous self and you feel like somehow you've proven your salvation and by your, your righteous deeds, which is really, in many cases, just your own self-righteousness where you've so dumbed down the law that you think you've done it. And if the fact that you think you've done it demonstrated you're utterly spiritually blind from the true requirements of God's law. This is, but I understand from preaching you want to preach it this way, and here's the reason why. If I come in and say, "Have you loved people this way? Have you loved people this way? We uh, have we done this? Everyone's going to feel convicted. Everyone's going to feel bothered. And a lot of times, the sermons that will get people to come to you and go." Oh, pastor, that really convicted me. Oh, man, I'm going to struggle with that. That really hit me. You, I mean, you stepped on my toe. Like sometimes the sermons that get the quote unquote most reaction are the ones where people feel gr- the most convicted. And then you go away as a preacher going, man, that was a powerful sermon. I convicted everybody. The only problem is all you convicted everyone is to go try to do it and no one's going to ultimately accomplish it. Now, I'm not saying that that's not a a secondary application, but the thing you most have to to point everyone to is Christ has done this for us. Gospel done, law due. Let's continue.
2: You want to know what it looks like to love your neighbor well enough that you might earn righteousness? Well, I'll tell you. Here's what it looks like. That's and right. anybody that has a, an ounce of self-awareness that reads that parable or is listening to it should conclude man i i have never i've never done that the way that i should do that i have never done that well enough to merit righteousness in the sight of god
0: mm-hmm. so let's let's summarize the whole passage the man walks up. What must I do to be saved to do in eternal life? What does yeah. the law say? Jesus says. The man says, "Love God and neighbor perfectly." And Jesus yep. says, "Go do go go and do likewise." And do
2: that. Go and do that, and you'll live.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's it's very important to understand that this is a law passage. Yes, this is not a gospel passage. Yes, the man is, is a, asking the question, "How do I get to the place I want to be?" Absolutely, which has been promised to me. Absolutely, but he doesn't. He, the man who can save him is – well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, so this we are, is a law passage. Yeah,
2: put a pin in it because yeah. we're going to come back at the end and make it super clear mm-hmm. exactly how this use of the law is meant to drive people to the Savior. That's right. And we'll get there. Mm-hmm. All right, so the next passage also – All
1: right, we're going to stop right there. We're at the 16-minute and 28-second mark, 16 minutes and 28 seconds into the podcast. There's 26 minutes and 44 seconds left of this episode of Theocast. We will come back at a later time and address this hopefully tomorrow. I don't think I'll get to it tonight. Uh, I, I think it'll be impossible tonight. Um, I, I, yeah, I almost want to. I almost want uh, get, to get everyone at church to sit around a table and let's let, let's let's and I'll hook up the microphone and just sit around a table and do this at church. But uh, we've got to do something else to do to, this evening at church. But we'll come back to this Monday. Um, I, there's a part of me that just wants to leave it and have you go listen to it, but go listen to Theocast. Again, what must I do to be saved? What, when was this episode? Let me see if I can find Theocast really quick. I'm going to look up Theocast on the Edify Christian podcast app because I'm almost positive it's there. Um, I subscribe to so many things on the Edify Christian podcast app that, uh, Let's see if it pulls up. Theocast. Yeah, here's Theocast. Uh, Let's see here. When was it? Uh, When was this posted? Oh, wait. Never mind. Do not subscribe to Theocast on the Edify Christian podcast app. Do not. It's uh, a year behind. Let's see here. So let's not do that. Don't, man, it's weird how so many podcasts... They they don't keep up with their 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 podcast fees on all of the different platforms. And some for some reason their their things are not being updated updated and they don't even know. You see here. Uh, Theocast, here we go. All right. Um, there's the weekly podcast. Where are the episodes? Where are the episodes? Oh man. Okay, you see here. Here's the podcast. All right. What must I do to be saved was when was this uh, done? Is there a date? March the 30th, 2022. March the 30th, 2022. Yes, it's really good stuff. I, I agree. Um, either, and the person who just said good stuff, uh, do you listen to this podcast already or are you saying good stuff? This is your first time to hear it. I'll wait for your answer. Uh, you can also find Theocast on YouTube. Um, if you if you do go to YouTube, subscribe to Theology Central as well. Got a little plug in there. But um, yes, This is uh, March the 30th, 2022, and what must I do to be saved? If you want to go listen to the rest, but we will definitely come back because I I, I just want to see the other passages that they dealt with. And so the passage that was dealt with in this particular discussion was, let's see, Luke, make sure, Luke chapter uh, 10, Luke 10, I'm writing this down. Luke 10, and they start in verse 25, okay, verse 25 to uh, 37, 25 to 37, all right, so, okay, that's awesome, Will just says, the first time to ever hear it, all right, awesome, see, that's why, that's one of the reasons I like to do this, Theocast, please subscribe to it, go listen to it on your own, because they are making some absolutely wonderful, this is good stuff, a right distinction between law and gospel. And I just want you to understand the reason this gets obliterated is because of people like me. It's people like me who sit behind a microphone or stand behind a pulpit. We're the ones who mess this up because there's always this feeling that when you preach, well, I've got to give the people something practical. i got to give them something to do. So you preach the Good Samaritan. You, you need to treat people this way. You need to love people this way. And you make that the primary application, obliterating law and gospel because you've just given everyone law. Go do it. Go do it. Go do it. Everyone gets convicted and they're saying, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go do it. And usually before they even get up, maybe they're driving down the road going, do you see anyone in a ditch? Do you see anyone over in a ditch that's been beat up by some robbers that we could stop and help? Does anybody... Does does anybody see anything? And and nobody sees any any robber in in the ditch. But all the—and so as soon as they give up looking, then they start talking amongst their family, and immediately they will realize they don't show that kind of love and compassion even to people sitting in the same car. And then by the time they get home, there's arguments over supper or food or this or, no, I'm going to watch this on TV or no—and then then immediately we don't even realize that we have already violating the passage and not showing any compassion and mercy even to the people around. Around us, even before there is a, even a great need or or, or, or anything, we, we we demonstrate that we love ourselves, and we don't even catch on to it. And then sometimes, we'll, people will be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do this this week, and then find themselves falling short, and short, and short, and short, which only get discouraged, or they have to convince themselves that they're doing it because we preached what was a law passage. Uh, we, we preach a, a power. Pa- I'm sorry. We preach a passage that's law. We ignore gospel, and then we give that law as "go do it." And, and if you don't do this, you prove you will never be saved. Almost turning the gospel into a works based system. And it's just because preachers, you just you're almost like. <sighs> I, I, I know it's hard for the non, non. I know it's hard for the non-preacher to maybe understand. But as a preacher, you, you you're almost your whole basis of success is how people respond. Oh, that was so convicting. And some churches, like the churches I was first trained in, uh, the, the the success of your sermon is based on how many people come to the altar for the altar call. That's how, that's what you base your success on, right? Well, guess what? You got to get people to the altar. Well, 99% of the time, most of the people in the congregation are already saved. So you're not going to have everyone coming forward to get saved. So how do you get them to come forward? You've got to add different things to the altar call. You know, if you've been convicted by your lack of love for your fellow and you get people to come forward, well, then if you have 10 or 15 people coming forward, then you pat yourself on the back that you did a good job. And so you end up destroying law gospel distinction because you need to preach a sermon that will be greatly convicting to everyone. Now, I'm not saying there isn't anything to be convicted. But the first thing that, well, you should be convicted. First, you should be convicted of your utter inability to do so and your absolute need for someone to do it for you. And Christ is the good Samaritan who did it for you. And so I I blame preachers first and foremost. It's just, it's it's almost built into your, oh, this is going to be convicted, convicting. I can, I can give, illustrations of how we don't love people and how we ignore the needs of other people. I've I, I probably even preached it that way early in my Christian life. It was not until I was exposed to Lutheran theology where I was confronted with this long gospel distinction and then I was like, whoa, wait a minute. And, and But even after that, in many cases, I reverted back to almost a, go do this, do this. I, I almost reverted to more of a lordship hermeneutic, which says, this proves you're saved, this proves you're saved, this proves you're saved, this proves you're saved, and everything that supposedly proved that we're saved is what we do, not what Christ did, which just begins to utterly just annihilate the gospel, which I've talked, I talked about this morning, and our discussion of of the five stages of sanctification, and our study in Jude. So, this is very relevant, but we, we're going to make this a part one, and we, man, I, I almost want to, uh, Yeah, I I really want to just do this now, but I'm not. I'm going to stop because what I need to do is I need to take the computer. I need to go downstairs and I need to upload uh, Jude, uh, Romans 9, and this all to the Church One app. So that's what I'm going to be doing. And then I've got to get ready for this evening. So 7 p.m. will be the time we'll be, or 7 p.m., 6 p.m. No, not 7 p.m. 7 p.m. is the start of something else, okay? (laughs) 6 p.m. is church. And I have to be home by 7, so church is going to be 15 minutes long. No, I'm, I'm going to preach to whenever I think I'm done, okay? And then uh, then we'll be home to do the other things I need to do this evening. All right, but there you go. All right, good. I, I hope uh, I hope everyone will uh, download subscribe to Theocast, and uh, we'll definitely come back and, and review the other two passages that they look at because I'm very curious. All right, thanks for listening. Hope that was beneficial. Hopefully it was a good Sunday afternoon uh, live broadcast. And uh, we'll be back on the air in a couple of hours. All right, thanks for listening. God bless.